from the Mercy One Studio. Welcome, folks, to The Uncommon Good with Bo Bonner and Dr. Bud Marr. Every week, diving deep into the truth of Catholic social teaching and restoring all things in Christ. The Uncommon Good is on the air. I'm Bo Bonner. I'm Dr. Bud Marr. And we are coming to you live from these United States uh, for a little bit time longer. I am alone here in Des Moines, Iowa. Not alone. I got all of my good friends behind the board and everything like that. Uh, but here in Des Moines, Iowa, where I'm the director of mission and ministry at Mercy College of Health Sciences and the director of the Zeta Institute, you can check us out at mchs.edu. Bud, for the time being out there at Pittsburgh, what do you do uh, in the interim uh, before you get back here into Des Moines? Yeah, I'm the director here at the National Institute for Newman Studies in Pittsburgh, newmanstudies.org. But as Bo's intimating, I will be back in Des Moines in November. Bo, last night via text, um, Joe Stopulis, host of the Man Up Show, he said, when is your triumphant return? So apparently <laughs> it's going to be triumphant. I can't make any promises, but. I'm thinking of it like sort of in the old Roman sense that we're going to, you know, uh, block the streets and actually have you like walk down. You know, remember when, uh, were you ever here when we did Iowa Catholic Radio uh, and we did the um, the the parade for the, the fair? I mean, RIP the fair this year, but. We've done the fair in the past where we all get in the back of a truck and like wave and everything like that. Were you there for one of those years? Oh, yeah. Actually, one month before we moved to Pittsburgh, I participated. And it really is one of the highlights of my Pittsburgh time because Iowa Catholic Radio was right behind this troop of um, they were promoting a, a haunted house. Yeah. <laughs> so you had you had people in freaky masks with like chainsaws. And then, you know, it was us and Jeannie Wells right behind them. So it was great. So we were right in front of them. We were actually behind the Democratic okay. Socialists. It was a hilarious sandwich of uh, three different trucks that went by. The point being, though, is we can redo that, right? We'll just shut down downtown, and then we'll parade you uh, socially distanced through downtown. It can be your triumphant return. That sounds like a lot of fun. Um, that triumphant return, uh, as always, underwrites our show, but technically underwriting that triumphant return. Mercy College of Health Sciences, mchs.edu where we've got the fall semester in full swing, making plans for the spring and summer. Um, you can go check out everything that we have going on in that regard at mchs.edu. Yeah, in full swing, doing bioethics this fall, Bo. And it was kind of nice. I've, I've taught servant leadership the last couple of semesters. But to get back into issues of medical ethics, and I'm really glad that a place like Mercy is there in Des Moines still uh, bringing the Catholic faith to bear on those questions. So one of the, I think this leads into what we're going to talk about today. Um, one of the reasons that we are getting to celebrate uh, you coming back is, uh, you know, we believe in yeah. the truth of uh, fraternal uh, love, right? That like there's brotherly love and sisterly love that together as a community, uh, we're better, you know, together as a group. And that this is bound by, um, you know, uh, affection that, uh, makes communities become something more than just an amalgamation or an accretion of people. And of course, everyone in Des Moines has been talking about that, that the gang's getting back together and everything like that. Uh, but we sort of have the occasion to celebrate that by talking about the new encyclical that the Pope put out uh, that is specifically about on fraternal love. Um, 
no one in English ever says the new title of the encyclical, right? Because we all think of Tutti Frutti, like by <laughs> Little Richard. Uh, but uh, the idea uh, of talking about that uh, in these times, um, the Pope puts out a timely encyclical. And uh, not only do are we going to talk about today, but I think about that in terms of uh, being underwritten by Mercy College, that precisely even things like the Acts of Mercy or what the, the Sisters of Mercy did and how they made charity, you know, real in a certain way, um, relies exactly on this idea of fraternal um, brotherhood and sisterhood, that there's a community that is bigger than any of our uh, specific personal attachments. And that's what we hope to bring to bear on uh, the new encyclical today. Yeah, Bo, when we were talking about the show this week, we said the Holy Father's released a new encyclical, and it's, it specifically deals a lot with social teaching. And so we felt like on a show like The Uncommon Good, we just couldn't let this pass. But he gave us a tall order releasing the encyclical this past weekend, and it's over 43,000 words long. So you and I have had to do some speed reading in the lead up to today's show. Well, one of the interesting things I talked about this actually on John Leonetti's show is uh, I know that the sort of length can be uh, prohibitive in some ways, but you know, an encyclical letter is an encyclical letter by decree. It just means that the Pope wants a letter to be circulated because he thinks yeah. its teaching is worthwhile, which is different than maybe a papal bull, right, where uh, a declaration of law that must be followed. But um, Pope Francis sort of going about it in his way, and I mean this not in any sort of flippant way, is sort of Jesuit idea of like, you know, he gives these talks um, in various places, like at pulpits, on airplanes, wherever that might be. But then this the encyclicals for him sort of work as a compendium of his thoughts on these issues and so what really strikes me is even though he started this encyclical before the covid crisis everything that has come to sort of be revealed by the covid crisis um permeates this large work and so if you don't have the sort of wherewithal to sit down and read it all in one sitting my point i think is that that's not the point anyway that really this is a gathering of many different thoughts he's had stringed together by this common concern about fraternal love. Yeah, I think if if you're intimidated by the length but want to, you know, genuinely reflect on what the Pope said, maybe picking a topic of interest, like you're saying it's a compendium. So he goes through these different important issues and you could tackle one and sit with it for a day. So that I, I like that, but that's a good strategy for slowly working through it. Or even like uh, starting off with chapter one, which is like sort of the problems and eight, the sort of practical things that you can do. But we're going to talk about all of this here coming up soon, talking about the new encyclical that Pope Francis released on fraternal love, on uh, the, the building up of community through those bonds. This is The Uncommon Good, Bo Bonner and Dr. Bud Marr. Stick around. We'll be talking about this right after this break. <laughs> Folks, if you have any uh, questions or any comments about the new encyclical or about the uncommon good, it's easy to let us know them. We just use the zip with line. 515-223-1150. 515-223-1150. The zip with line. Your way to contact us to talk about, uh, talk about us if you want to. Talk to us. Leave suggestions. The zip with line. 515-223-1150, 515-223-1150. If you made pledges last week with uh, uh, the Carathon, or if like you are only now getting around to being able to think about giving donations, uh, 515-223-1150, if you text that, good way for us to get back in touch with you. Uh, but again, uh, when it comes down to 
our show, things you want to leave, suggestions, hashtag UCG for the uncommon good, the zip whip line. 515-223-1150. 515-223-1150. This is the uncommon good, and we'll be back right after this. Tickets are available for the 59th annual Dowling Catholic Pancake Breakfast at dowlingcatholic.org. Tickets will provide four pancake breakfast boxes containing the Dowling Catholic High School Signature Buttermilk Pancake Batter Mix, plus individual syrups. Enjoy delicious pancakes on your schedule and in the comfort of your home. No need to get up early and stand in line. Make your pancakes on your time. Learn more about the 59th annual Dowling Catholic Pancake Breakfast tickets at dowlingcatholic.org. Get your tickets today at dowlingcatholic.org. Support for Iowa Catholic Radio and Be Not Afraid is provided by Dream Dirt Farm Real Estate and Auction. Learn more at DreamDirt.com, including their online auction house, Farm Bid, at bid.dreamdirt.com. Dream Dirt Farm and Equipment Auction Services, farm auctions done right. Thank you, Dental Associates, for supporting Dowling Catholic Sports 365. Dental Associates, addressing your smile, needs, and dreams. 515-225-6742. Online at Des Moines-DentalAssociates.com. Support for Iowa Catholic Radio and Storm Alert Weather is provided by Divine Treasures. Divine Treasures is a Catholic book and gift store serving the Des Moines community for over 25 years. Their mission is to help Catholics know, love, and keep their faith in our Lord Jesus Christ and His Church. Divine Treasures is where you can find great Catholic books, beautiful Bibles, rosaries, jewelry, statues, and religious gifts for those memorable events in your life. Divine Treasures, 5701 Hickman Road, Des Moines, 515-255-5230. Thank you to Divine Treasures for their support of Iowa Catholic Radio. Thank you, Big Red Q Quick Print, for underwriting the sports report. Family owned and operated since 1980, Big Red Q Quick Print is a full-service print shop, ready to help you with all your printing needs with speed and accuracy. BigRedQ-DesMoines.com Support for Iowa Catholic Radio and John Leonetti in the Morning is provided by Five Sons Naturescapes. Five Sons Naturescapes is a Catholic veteran-owned family company providing premium outdoor landscaping. Learn more about Five Sons Naturescapes at FiveSonsNaturescapes.com. FiveSonsNaturescapes.com We're back with the Uncommon Good. Bo Bonner and Dr. Bud Mark coming to you this Wednesday. Glad that you are able to join us on the show. Always an honor and a privilege to join our listeners talking about the subjects, the news, what's hot. Uh, maybe not so much that, but, but I will say that it's easy to uh, address all of those issues because in the news we had Pope Francis dropping uh, a not small encyclical on us. <laughs> uh, many words, many things to say, uh, but many pertinent things to say, not only um, in general because of what's going on in the world and how he addresses it, but particularly for our show where we talk about the common good. A lot of, uh, to steal one of your favorite phrases, bud, grist for the mill mm. that we can use uh, to consider for our show and what it means to approach the common good. But I guess, Bud, before we start, it's important to really set the scene. People hear us talk about popes releasing encyclicals. Uh, That can sound like, uh, I don't know, a piece of farm machinery, uh, maybe something like really uh, technical. Um, But an encyclical really just means a letter worthy of being circulated. Uh, But but, but maybe what's the history of why we get encyclicals now? And what, what are we supposed to do as the faithful when we hear that encyclicals uh, have been dropped, as it were? Well, th- this tradition has a long posterity in the church. And I think all the way back to the first century, Bo, with the apocalypse or uh, well, with the book that we call Revelation, the last book of the Bible. And it was clear that 
the author was addressing specific churches, but also that he intended it to be circulated. So there's several churches early in the book where their specific mention is made of them. And if I remember correctly, you see a similar thing in Paul. He sort of assumes that the letter is going to be passed along to a different community. Now, these circular letters from the Pope that we're talking about today, Bo, I think, you know, you see that in the Bible, but there were periods in church history where it wasn't usual for the Holy Father to do this sort of thing. But in the early modern and modern era, this practice has really picked up. Um, I think you're more up than I am on the difference between like a bull and in, and an encyclical. But since since the time of Leo the Thirteenth in the late nineteenth century, uh, each pope, especially Leo, and uh, I think of Saint John Paul II, they were pretty prolific in releasing these circular letters that were considered pastoral teaching that the entire church should take into consideration, should receive, reflect upon, and seek to apply. No, but I think that's a great way to sort of set this up, is that we have many reasons why we would get papal documents. Uh, Of course, as a pastor, the bishop of Rome, and a shepherd uh, of the universal church, um, the directions and the teachings of the Holy Father take on um, a very important um, sort of regard, of course, Um, Throughout the Middle Ages specifically, you know, a lot of people, when you go look in medieval history, you're probably going to like come upon, yes, papal bulls and documents like this where popes make um, legal decisions, as it were. They make declarations that have binding authority. Uh, Most of the um, councils that we would think of have papal bulls attached to them that either say, you know, uh, the directives of this council are binding or however this might be. What you start to get in the modern world, and uh, you know, you can argue about who made the first encyclical, encyclical Pius the Ninth, of course, has some, but Leo the Thirteenth really makes uh, the encyclical tradition come into its own, where he's addressing these massive pressing topics uh, that the world is sort of wrestling with. Uh, maybe most famous of all, in some ways, is Rerum Novarum, where uh, he he talks about the new social order. And starts the tradition of the social encyclicals, because, you know, in in many ways, if you're talking about something like so this one is talking about um, labor and, you know, what what is to be expected? What is uh, how are we supposed to understand uh, the new movements of labor? So he's talking at the turn of the 18th into the the 1800s into the 1900s. You know, what laws are you going to point out that sort of sum everything up? And so instead, what you start to get is a tradition of the popes addressing issues present in the world and using their uh, authority, of course, as the Pope, but also as just their, their sort of personal ability to read into things, to utilize their advisors, things like this, bring to bear the mind of the church uh, to address certain of these issues. Now, but this gets confusing and like, we could probably get our own, we, we, it would have to be an old whole hour of the show about how that sort of plays out um, in terms of what, what is teaching and how do you follow that? I think sometimes people um, really want the encyclical tradition to be um, legal documents when they're not. That's, of course, not to say, of course, that these circulated letters don't contain teaching that we're supposed to take to heart. Um, again, like you were pointing out the book of Revelation, for instance, or the fact that we have these sort of Catholic letters in the New Testament, right? Letters that someone wrote to someone else, but were then deemed worthy to be read by everyone, but you think about that, right? So if you think about maybe like the 
the, the letter of James or one of Peter's letters or even one of Paul's letters, they obviously are addressing specifics to that group of people at that time. Um, but they don't necessarily have bullet points for us to follow. Instead, through addressing these issues, teaching, so to speak, emerge uh, from the text themselves. So we still have to, so to speak, interpret those things. We interpret the letters of Paul. We don't, uh, like you said, you know, we don't have like bullet points that obviously come from them in certain ways. So all of this is a long way to say that by the time you get Pope Francis writing encyclical letters like he does, it's very true that his style and his approach is very different. It, it is, it would be silly to act like um, Pope Francis writing these, what did you say? 40,000 words? How many thousands of words? I think it runs to 43,000. 43,000 words. There is nothing like that in Leo the 13th, for instance, Leo the 13th isn't writing like short quips either. I don't want it to make it sound like it's like tiny aphorisms that you could put on your fridge, but certainly, um, Leo the 13th style, you know, there's eight sort of books, as it were, to this encyclical of, of Pope Francis. I'm guessing Leo the 13th would have wrote eight different encyclicals. That's how he would have approached it. But just because people approach these things different, and again, Pope Francis isn't the first to do this, you see different sort of styles. You have the Leo the 13th style, which starts to be different by the time you even have um, Benedict the 15th, let alone Benedict the 16th. And John Paul II, for instance, if anybody wants to go, well, where did we start getting this uh, idea of long encyclicals that become um, very verbose? John Paul II very much, uh, you know, amped this up. But Pope Francis really does seem to understand his take on encyclicals as being a compendium of what he has been teaching in other places. This sort of goes along with what he says about returning the sort of uh, if you would, but the preaching role of the Bishop of Rome. Um, and so he preaches like all the time. I mean, and, and, you know, certain popes really, you would only hear about their, their sort of public audiences on, on Wednesday, but Pope Francis, even when he's just giving sort of like a short little five minute homily, uh, you know, in, in just to the people who live in his, in the house where he does, that will, you know, eventually get seen on the internet and things like this. Part of this is just what technology affords. Um, in his process of discernment, it really seems like he thinks, okay, so you're going to give like all of these talks and maybe you're going to try some things out. Some things work, some things don't. And by the time you get to the encyclical letter, you have a compendium of what he, he prayerfully is meditating on what he thinks the church has to bear on these issues, which might be why the this encyclical letter looks like a bear ha 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 to deal with because of all the words that it uses. Yeah. And Bo, we're talking about some of this, not simply to geek out this morning, but it really does come to bear on how we think about receiving the encyclicals as members of the flock. And it's unfortunate, but we have to acknowledge that a phenomenon in American Catholicism today is that the Pope is sometimes a divisive figure and that's not unique to this pontificate. There are, so to speak, fanboys with each pope. And right. you know, not to pick on any one person, but like someone with, like George Weigel, he sees his writing as very much almost like an extension of what John Paul II was supposedly about. And you see writers like that under Francis, like Austin and Vere. And so what happens, unfortunately, Bo, is I think sometimes as American Catholics, we get in this mindset where we have to sort of pick a side. 
And I just have to say, in reading some of what's been written about this latest encyclical, I think it's fair to say there's some on the interwebs who approached it from a hermeneutic of distrust. <laughs> there's almost whatever the Holy Father was going to release, it was going to be received poorly. You know, I hope I'm not being unfair there. But I, I, I guess, Bo, it's good to step back sometimes and think about all these things. Like what type of document is an encyclical and what level of authority does it have? So I'm not trying to undercut like its message or the fact that we should listen to what Pope Francis has said here, but we do have to acknowledge like this letter doesn't have the same level of authority that say Pius XII's declaration of the, uh, the assumption had that's a dogma. And it's something that we all have to believe. Now, that being said, the flip side of that is we can't operate with that mindset and just say, well, I'm not going to listen to it at all. You know, Hebrews 13, 17 says, obey your leaders and submit to them for they're keeping watch over your souls as men who will have to give an account. So that I mean, that commands straight out of sacred scripture. Now, for me, Bo, the key and we can get into this as we talk about individual parts of the encyclical is as a Catholic, am I wrestling what, with what my leaders are teaching me? And so it's okay to come across a passage and say, you know, I, I have difficulty squaring this with what I've been taught in the past, or I, I'm struggling to apply this in the way that Pope Francis seems to be saying we should apply it. And to me, that's a different mindset than that hermeneutic of distrust where, I mean, I, frankly, I, I saw tweets where it sounded like the individual is saying, you know, listen to me first before you listen to your Pope. And uh, once you move into that kind of MO, you're, you're skirting dangerous territory. Yeah, you have, I like that, the hermeneutic of distress. You also have the hermeneutic of using the recently released document to own whoever it is, this person or that one. (laughs) So we had a lot of like quote texts immediately out. Um, And some of them I think are, it makes sense why uh, they were (laughs) escalated as they were. Um, Certainly he speaks to some of the uh, issues that in America, um, I think, Um, we have easy answers to what is actually quite a long tradition of of maybe highlighting different aspects. But I'm with you that weaponizing and instrumentalizing the encyclical to sort of win arguments or to uh, uh, pre-judge, I mean, you know, to to decide you already know what this encyclical is going to be like is uh, not helpful to anyone specifically because this thing's so long, half the time I wonder how people have already decided they know what they're going to say about this thing. It's been around for like only a couple days and people are like, I've read all of it, I'm a pro on it, and you shouldn't listen to any of it. Or consequently, you should listen to every word, it's the new gospel. I'm like, man, I am, I, I, I kind of feel like we're going where, you know, angels fear to tread immediately in the, within the week talking about this, bud. But it seems important enough and especially with all that it's bringing up, it seems timely to go ahead and at least bring uh, a general sense uh, to our audience uh, what is being teased out here and maybe uh, hopefully prompting them to go prayerfully read this over a long period of time uh, to imbibe the teaching and the challenges. And as you said, I think this is part of Pope Francis's MO. He likes the idea of saying that we're going to reason through these things. And so if we're taking them him at his word, if we can be docile and obedient enough to hear our shepherd teach mm-hmm. us, and it's, it works to be honest about where we feel challenged. Um, and that 
that's like we're I guess what we're trying to say with this first part of the segment is encyclicals really do bear the spirit of the Pope who wrote them and how they address these things, and that there's been multiple ways this is done. Pius the tenth and Pius the eleventh dealing much differently with things like uh, modernism and theology, as opposed to Leo the Thirteenth sort of speaking grandly on the huge arch uh, uh, arc tectonics of history. Um, to Pope Francis here, like throwing out a lot of um, things for us to chew on uh, when thinking about why the world has become as divisive as it has. Well, for example, just to stick with this for one more moment, and Bo, I kind of, I kind of regret mentioning specific authors a few minutes ago because I do want to avoid, you know, picking on individuals when they don't have a chance necessarily to defend themselves or respond. But just I'll I'll speak I'll I'll speak um, in code a bit here. But I was I was reading some commentary on the encyclical, and it was from someone who billed themselves as a quote unquote traditional Catholic, and this individual jumped on the passage. Do you know the section that's labeled liberty, equality, and fraternity? Yes. <laughs> and he, and in short, he argued that this was the introduction of free Masonic principles into the Catholic church. And I know folks, you know, jumping on Freemasonry early on a Wednesday morning, um, maybe you're not ready for it yet, but j- just to illustrate the point, he said, well, this is a Pope basically teaching what the Freemasons have always defended. And I went back and looked at the passage, Bo, and if you read it closely, to me, it's clear that Pope Francis is taking that language and saying, look, your societies have advanced this. And they've said, like, this is the foundation of human social life. And he, so to speak, purifies them. So he says, you know, liberty properly understood in a biblical key is something that's important for Catholics to affirm. But the the idea that he was like greenlighting Freemasonry was just, to me, it was an argument in bad faith. And then the same individual went on to say like, well, part of the problem was that it was written in Spanish and Latin is the universal language of the church. And the fact that he's writing this in Spanish, you know, it's, it, it's slippage. And that leads to this kind of incoherency of thought. And my mind immediately went to important encyclicals like um, the condemnation of national socialism, Nazism uh, in the lead up to World War II. That encyclical was written in German because the Pope knew that it was important for Germans to read it. So this idea that it was just kind of a strange direction to the argument. You see what I'm saying, Bo? Uh, Absolutely. I think that when you can come up with any reason not to uh, take the Holy Father uh, at his best word, um, that whatever else we mean, whether you can call yourself traditional or not, that it is not traditional to come into the fray deciding Um, I'm going to find every reason not to agree with the Holy Father. And, you know, I I think about this in (laughs) debates about um, things where I've studied some of the issues, as it were, and have, you know, opinions on it or whatever. And, um, you know, you and I both, before we converted, uh, were part of um, a, a Protestant divinity school that was very um, very much behind um, pacifism in Christianity. There was a huge Amish influence there, uh, not Amish influence, but Anabaptist, I should say. And <clears throat> so when we became Catholic and, you know, wh- however we felt about the just war tradition beforehand, I know you and I had conversations about how um, 
conformity to you know the the tradition of the church meant at least wrestling with this and i would say for myself and i'm guessing you is uh ultimately not staying with uh the pacifism of that school that we were very well steeped in but admitting something like what augustine was talking about was just war um was true so when pope francis is saying that he that in the modern world we should ask ourselves if anything like the just war tradition can actually be actualized um if you're going in deciding you're going to find something to disagree with the Pope about, well, friends, that you're going to read that in such a jaundiced way that you're not going to be fair to what he's getting at. I myself wonder about this as just a sort of like person on the street thinking about war. Um, I can really see two sides of the situation where on one hand you go, yeah, really, like with the threat of nuclear war, and advanced technology. Can you ever really have a justified war? And then I also think of, you know, as a dad and think about like, well, what are, what are we going to do if uh, people, um, you know, aren't, don't have that sort of ability uh, to um, defend themselves? So, but when I approach the Holy Father and what he says, and especially when he very much in context points out that he's not, so to speak, poo-pooing the entire tradition beforehand, but talking about a prudential decision about how things are on the ground now, it matters how you approach all of this coming up uh, when you read this encyclical. Because if you go in deciding, I'm looking for places where the Pope is going to be wrong, you are not going to read that in the right mindset. You're going to see a break with tradition where the text itself says it is not breaking with tradition, but making a decision about the practical points on the ground. And I think, Bud, you know, when we get into it next segment, that most of this encyclical has moments like that for all of us in some way where he's going to be pushing us and challenging us not to abandon the tradition, but think about the implications for how that looks on the ground here and now. We're coming up on the break. This is The Uncommon Good. When we come back, more talking about the Pope's new encyclical. Stick around for Bud Mar. This is Bo Bonner. We'll be back right after this. Folks, if you want to be a part of the Uncommon Good and Iowa Catholic Radio on the internet, easy to do. You just go follow us through our social media. You can go to the original social media site. That is our website, iowacatholicradio.com, where you can listen live, you can donate, you can sign up for newsletters and keep in touch. You can go to uh, Facebook, look up Iowa Catholic Radio and friend us there, and then you will see our posts you can go to Twitter, and if you want to follow our tweets, go to at IA Catholic Radio, follow us, and then you can be tweet friends with us. And finally, you can download the Iowa Catholic Radio app, and anywhere there is a connection to data, you can listen live, donate, and other things as well. The website, the app, Facebook, Twitter, everything's there. We hope to see you there. We hope to be good old social media buddies with you soon. This is The Uncommon Good, and we'll be back right after this. Support for Iowa Catholic Radio and Faith on Trial provided by Paul Martin and Paul Mitchell, owners of Imogene Ingredients. Imogene Ingredients supply specialized feed ingredients for livestock and pet diets to improve maternal and young animal health in both conventional and organic production. Information about Pharmatan and other products at ImogeneIngredients.com. Paul and Paul are members of St. Augustine's Knights of Columbus and encourage their brother knights to keep standing for their faith. Partial support for Catholic Women Now comes from injury attorney Fred Haas. 
When Iowans have been injured through no fault of their own, in a car, truck, or motorcycle accident, harmed in a work-related injury, or suffered injury due to negligence of others, Fred Haas has been on their side to help recover from financial, physical, and emotional loss. Fred, double D, Haas, double A. Online at fredhaas.com. The Des Moines Law Offices of Fred Haas. While we have time, let us do good. Support for Iowa Catholic Radio and Christ is the Answer with Father John Ricardo is provided by Confluence Brewing Company, brewed locally and featuring regular, seasonal, and limited-release beers available at local stores, bars, and restaurants. Confluence Brewing Company at 1235 Thomas Beck Road, off the bike trail south of Grays Lake, and online at confluencebrewing.com. Confluence Brewing Company offers curbside service and would like to thank you for your support. Thank you, Confluence Brewing Company, for your support of Iowa Catholic Radio. Here's your forecast on Iowa Catholic Radio. We have high pressure moving in, and that'll keep things sunny today with our afternoon high around 80. Overnight, clear skies in about 50, and then another sunny day tomorrow will stay in the upper 70s. Back to the mid-80s, breezy and sunny on Friday, and then the weekend looks fair. The weather is brought to you by Divine Treasures, a Catholic book and gift store serving the Des Moines community for over 25 years. I'm meteorologist Steve Hamilton on Iowa Catholic Radio. We're back with the Uncommon Good, Bo Bonner and Dr. Bud Mara joining you this Wednesday. Thank you for listening to the show. Thank you for coming back on the air. We love having our listeners be a part of the show, and it's just an honor to speak to you. And it's an honor to speak about uh, Pope Francis's new encyclical, Bud, uh, Fratelli Tutti. I was joking around about Americans all saying that wrong because of little Richard. I think I said that right. But the idea, of course, is on fraternal love, the brotherhood and sisterhood of all human beings and the sort of, um, if Laudato Si, as people said, was about our common home, this encyclical really is a long meditation on our common plight, as it were, our common uh, necessity of needing each other and how that looks uh, in the world. So, Bud, we sort of really set the scene about encyclicals and, and what people who read the encyclical, the, the sort of uh, spirit of obedience by which they approach that, and that this does have ramifications because the entire encyclical is about um, fraternal love. And so if you're going to approach a document talking about um, fraternity, having divisiveness in your heart, you're going to not only read in a not so great way, you're also doing exactly some of the things that he's pointing out about why we have conflicts. And maybe that's a place to start. He opens up talking about Pope, uh, not Pope Francis, St. Francis and his inspiration um, that he sees in his life. But then he really starts to attend to the ways in which um, the modern world fails at this idea of fraternity and understanding our common human nature and our sort of the communal way that we, we must live. He really leans into this point about the lack of uh, fraternity and social cohesion, and especially since COVID happened while he was writing this, that the pandemic erupts and exposes what he calls a lot of false securities. So that's probably a good place to start. What, what, what does the Pope really narrow in on to say why we have these problems um, that disrupt the human, the common human community? Well, I've already briefly mentioned, Bo, the way that maybe American Catholics are prone to reading certain things. And I do that not to 
pick on us. I mean, I'm part of that community, so I'm I'm pointing the finger at myself in a certain way. But there there is in today's world certainly like strengths and weaknesses of different cultures. And one facet of American culture, and regardless of how much you love this country or not, everyone kind of acknowledges that our culture in over the over the years has been characterized by a kind of individualism. And Pope Francis in the encyclical signals out that individualism can be a problem because there's this idea, Bo, that uh, we're we're uh, self-sustaining. That if I'm freed from social bonds, so if I can worry less about my neighbor or the homeless person who I see on my way to work, then in some ways I'm more free. And my goal as a person is just to maximize my my own financial self-interest. And if I do that well enough, I can sort of spare myself or prepare for the inevitable storms and buffets that life is going to bring. And Pope Francis calls this out and he says, look, individualism doesn't make us more equal or more free. And when we start thinking about the good, it can't simply be a question of the status of any individual or even a collection of individuals as if the common good was like a sum total of individual interests, but there are certain issues and concerns about human life. We're inevitably social beings that we can only address at a kind of communal level. And, you know, there's some obvious examples, like say there's a river running through a city like Des Moines. We, you can't just have this kind of unrestrained use of the river. It's a, it's a resource. It's a natural good held in common. And so the question of how we relate to natural resources, like a body of water, but also how we structure things like taxes and, you know, what sort of wage an individual should, should earn for a certain job. Like those are not incidental to the Catholic faith. They, the Catholic church has always been bold and willing to address questions of justice at that level. Well, and I think, but if you, if you look at this chapter one, if you just look at the headings and subheadings that he has, you begin to see the story he sketches out about the lack of universal fraternity. So the first one out of the gate is Shattered Dreams. Uh, let me back up that actually the, the title of chapter one is Dark Clouds Over a Closed World, which sounds like one of the best emo albums that probably came out in the year 2005. Uh, dark clouds over a closed world. Uh, you know, I'm just imagining... Uh, like a lot of black fingernail polish and some thumping beats there, bud. But uh, beyond uh, the really cool title of the whole thing, you start to look at what he titles, uh, like I said, the headings and the subhandings. You start to really get at what's going on. So Shattered Dreams, he points out that we had this conviction, he says, with things like the European Union, uh, the sort of pan-Latin American and even, I'm thinking, pan-African movements, um, post-World War II, where people are like, okay, what's the only way we're going to get around repeating things like World War I and World War II is to be honest about these things. But he said various things throughout history immediately started to up the divide and conquer mentality rather than this move towards universal brotherhood. And he really does talk about transnational economic powers. Uh, that, But, you know, what's interesting is he's not just sort of laying the blame on economics like sort of as the scapegoat the next subheading is the most interesting maybe the whole part so if people go i don't want to read the whole thing i'm only telling you to read like 14 chapters in uh, not chapters uh paragraphs he calls it the end of historical consciousness which is a loaded term but immediately what he talks about 
is that youth who don't know where they come from are easy to manipulate. So he talks about this individualism that you're talking about is not only that we become, like you say, little atoms that can be thrown anywhere, but he talks about it as a new form of cultural colonization. Mm. That If you make people abandon their tradition and either from craze to mimic others or to foment violence or from unpardonable negligence or apathy, allow others to rob their very soul, end up losing not only their spiritual identity, but also their moral consistency and in the end, their intellectual, economic and political independence. So that's from chapter, uh, excuse me, paragraph 14. So funny enough, this encyclical that if you hear from the right people seems so anti-traditional, out of the gate he's saying um, a sort of colonization where we destroy traditions for the hope of making the world more efficient for economic means uh, is the very thing that starts making this, this, you know, dark clouds over the closed world. Um, And so it's not like this sort of like, kumbaya pan-universal everybody should be the same he's pointing out that the destruction of local traditions is exactly the paving of the way that allows this destruction of human fraternity to begin in earnest yeah well in another way that this critique of individualism and the sort of um bulldozing of local cultures plays out is when he talks about the economy and he emphasized pretty strongly Bo, that the marketplace by itself on its own cannot resolve every problem. And in this case, he's really firing some shots at sort of like really laissez-faire capitalism and this idea that there's a free market. And if you just leave it alone, that, you know, individual self-interest and, and egoistical pursuits will level things out and there will be like justice will be achieved by, you know, an Adam Smith language, the invisible hand of the market. And Pope Francis takes issue with this and says, if you look at the way that a- a- things actually play out, that's simply not the case. That, you know, even in a country like the United States, where we really prize that sort of tradition as the way that we organize things, you know, policies like tax rates and tariffs and, uh, you know, subsidies for different parts of the economy, all of those things will impact the experience of individuals on the ground in terms of how it plays out in their lives. Um, now, you can tell when the Holy Father is addressing this topic that he's aware of the whole history of these discussions. He's quoting John Paul II. I think he does there in that place, Bo, intentionally, because he's like, look, this kind of you know conservative pope who you revere, he mentioned this danger as well and said that the right to private property, which the church has affirmed at different points in human history, it's not inviolable. He, he describes it as a secondary natural right. And what he means by that, Bo, is, you know, the Catholic Church has always been opposed to a kind of communism where there would be a centralized government that had strict control over the economy. But there's a there's a flip side. There's a danger in that if you emphasize private property as an inviolable right, then you lose sight of what's called the universal destination of human goods. And that's the idea that in an in an instance where there's a wealthy country or community who has a surplus of resources for that community to withhold those resources from those who need it, that's a concrete injustice. And Pope Francis there is not being some, you know, radical leftist. This has a, a longstanding history in Catholic discourse going back to, you know, I think of someone like St. John Chrysostom. Now he's preaching specifically to Catholics in the pews, but he says, if you have an extra jacket in your closet, that belongs to the beggar on the street. And he calls out his parishioners, directly now one last piece bo before i pass the mic 
you know, I've, I've raised this question with folks and sometimes the pushback that I get is, well, there's a difference between charity and governmental redistribution of goods. And that's, that's certainly the case. Like as Christians were commanded to give alms and regardless of the kind of society that we live in, you know, that always bears upon us as a matter of personal responsibility. But I do think it's a little bit of a fairy tale to pretend that, you know, local and even national, like especially national governments, that the way they structure society through the passing of laws, that it's just going to inevitably bear upon the kind of topics that Pope Francis raises in that section of the encyclical. No, but I think that's a fantastic way to put it. And if you go back, you know, so I'm saying like, so, so I, really the problems he tra- traces out in chapter one, he eventually talks about in detail, like you said, later. And so to your point, and, and you know, you're, there's certain paragraphs later in, I think these are like in the 180s or something, um, I'd have to go look that up. But um, early on in chapter one, he's bringing up aspects that eventually require exactly talking about that, like talking about the Catholic longstanding tradition on how private property uh, is uh, submissive, uh, is subordinate, I should say, to the universal destination of goods and that like we don't, we've never believed in the absolute inviolability of private property, but how that works in league with everything else. And so earlier on, this is like in paragraphs 15 through 17, he says one of the problems that causes this lack of fraternal unity is lacking a plan for everyone that by dominating and gaining control, like, you know, we said earlier, by getting rid of the sort of traditions that root people in a place, if you steamroll those traditions and make every place like any other. So like, as people have said, flattening the earth, right? The earth is flat because of sort of like uh, the globalized economic market that you can start to say, look, to care for this is him again, to care for the world in which we live means to care for ourselves. Yet we need to think of ourselves more and more as a single family dwelling in a common home. Such care does not interest the economic powers that demand quick profits. So he points out to all you're saying is if we understood property, not in terms of sort of uh, units of economic uh, right or invoyability or fact or things like this, but instead talk about even property in terms of living as a single family dwelling in a common home, you know, you start to think that what he's getting at is not making huge decisions about uh, debates regarding collectivism, communism, socialism, capitalism, all these things like this. What he's pointing to is something that we all know, which is to say, you let your kids have property, as it were, that's theirs. You know, you, you, you give your kids gifts. You, I mean, I don't know how many times I've said, like, let so-and-so play with thing A. He got it for his birthday, knowing full well that within six months, not only will everyone have played with it, no one plays with it anymore. But the point being right is that if we start to think of a single family dwelling in a common home, although, of course, we will have private property, that private property is subordinate to the good of the family living in that home. And you think about that in terms of your own family, it would only be a very disrupted family that would allow a sort of um, acquisitiveness, right? to um to be fostered uh you know without any sort of check on this regard and you think about that in terms in kids but you think about it between spouses right what does it mean to understand our resources as sure being someone's within the family but of course more importantly belonging to the family in general i even think about that in terms of people who have like there's you know dad's car and mom's car you know it would be silly if like 
you know, dad's car is in the shop, right? And mom is somewhere else. And then like a kid gets hurt and he's like, well, I would take you to the doctor, but only mom's car is here, right? That would be absolutely crazy to think that way. And the Pope is only saying, well, we're doing that, but with humanity in general. Yeah. And so then he starts to talk about this, right? He talks about a throwaway world, right? We've had uh, Charles Camosian talking about a throwaway culture. Here he just, you know, replicates this, right? The only way that you can treat people this way is if you think part of them or part of the world itself is thrown away. And because of that, that goes to the next subheading. We have insufficient universal human rights. We think there are some people that uh, we can treat differently. This is where he gets into racism. This then causes the next subheading, conflict and fear that war and all of these things come to bear because people don't see themselves as part of a common family. They see themselves as having to find what's theirs because no one cares enough to give it to them. And so globalization and progress without a shared roadmap, you can progress and make more money and make the world even more globalized. But if there's no roadmap that we all share together, you're going to do things like cause pandemics and calamities in history. The next subheading that really talks about where our world has gotten. All of this comes down to an absence of human dignity at the borders, not only at borders of, uh, uh, of countries, but like at the border of, uh, of humanity in general, those who are considered throwaway people, that this occurs because of an illusion of communication we give ourselves because of the power of the digital world, where shameless aggression and information without wisdom reign, the other subheadings. And finally, he talks about forms of subjection and self-contempt, that there's a way in which we come to hate ourselves because we're so disassociated from each other. We're so isolated. We're so alone. Uh, it's such a rat race that because we don't have love for ourselves, we've lost the ability to love others. But finally, finally takes a deep breath and ends this end in chapter one with hope. Despite these dark clouds, which may not be ignored, I would like in the following pages, he says, to take up and discuss, discuss many new paths of hope. And that's what he wants to end, you know, chapter eight, to talk about the abundant seeds of goodness in our human family and that there are renewed interest in talking about that hope. And that I know that like that was a whirlwind way to take that through. But but I think that it's important for people to realize this grand sweep to talk about these things. Well, and I'm sorry to harp on this point, but, um, you know, I hope in what I've said so far in the episode, I haven't given the impression to those listening that we're meant to read this uncritically there are parts of the encyclical that I struggled and wrestled with. And I'm the first person to say like, you know, we don't have to cheerlead or flag wave like every single utterance of the Pope. But I think Bo, even in those sections that I found difficult, that there's a way to read this, you know, with charity and a sort of docility to, like you said, the universal pastor. So I think about as an example, the section on migrants, which you've already highlighted and What's interesting about this part of the encyclical is, you know, it's dealing with a pressing social issue where there's there's a lot of heat around this topic today. And the Holy Father doesn't take a stance on, say, how many individual persons should be permitted to immigrate to a country in one year. Or the question of border patrol guards, like, should there be a system in place to, you know, make this go smoothly or whatnot? But he simply asked, he simply asked his flock, he asked Christians to say, do you hear the plea? of the stranger? Do you recognize Christ and our abandoned or excluded brothers and sisters? And has this beautiful exegesis on the Good Samaritan. So I guess, though I'm not trying to speak out of both sides of my mouth, but I think there's a way to read the encyclical 
and even the parts that may be tough for us as individuals and to say, I'm still going to participate in the public discourse around this question. I'm not going to abdicate that responsibility. But are, is there, are there truths in what the Pope is saying that I need to hear? And for myself, like some of that came shining through um, without, without necessarily agreeing 100% with the sort of prudential conclusions that he draws. Does that seem like a fair, a fair take on that sort of question? No, I think that's great, and unfortunately, we're getting we're 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 getting to the end of the show where we don't get to talk about it uh, much more. But I'll be honest that like uh, the part that always gets me is uh, the hopeful part. <laughs> the stuff I struggle with is when he goes, "These are seeds of hope," and who I am, I'm like, uh, <laughs> you know, I'm always like, I don't know, is, is there as much hope as you're talking about? Maybe that's just being an oaky. Um, but you're right. I feel compelled to struggle with. Okay, are you just being a negative Nancy? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and things have, of that sort of nature. So I'm, I'm with you that you, this is not supposed to be rubber stamped. There's really nothing to rubber stamp, I guess, is what I would say in the end, is that there really is long, difficult discussions and prayerful things we all need to pray with, uh, pray about. And if you're looking for like sort of definitive answers, that's not how uh, this Pope has decided encyclicals operate. Um, but I think that there's so much that can benefit us if we are willing to stop and be obediently docile in hearing out his challenges and that hopefully that can move us all forward. This is the uncommon good. May Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, reign in our hearts, in our families, our city, our state, definitely our nation coming up. The whole world, as the Pope says in this encyclical, the solar system, the galaxy, the whole kit and caboodle. This is the uncommon good, and we'll be back next week. But if our good listeners want to join us in our prayer life here at Iowa Catholic Radio, what's a way they can do so? Yeah, I meant to mention at the start of the show today that it's the Feast of Our Lady of the Rosary, October 7th, an important day in the church, really remembering times where prayer has produced you know, just amazing occurrences. So please join us daily. Uh, we pray the rosary on air every day at 5.30 a.m., 9.30 a.m., and 9.30 p.m. We also pray the Angelus together daily at six in the morning. And all of those prayer opportunities are available anytime on the Iowa Catholic radio app. And folks, we want to say thank you for everything uh, that you do to support the radio show and the radio station. We just had Carathon last week and we really do want to tip our hats to everybody that gave so much to make Iowa Catholic radio staying on air possible. Uh, We are more than just the people on air, the people behind the boards and the people behind the desks. We really are a ministry that are that's carried out because of your ability to support it. You support it through those prayers that Bud were talking was talking about, all the prayers that you give us, um, all the volunteer work that you do, but certainly also the material support that you give through your donations. You can donate online at iowacatholicradio.com. You can call in at 515-223-1150 or text 515-223-1150 to donate. You can also donate on the Iowa Catholic Radio app. You really do make possible this ministry, this ministry that that penetrates walls, that is on 24-7, that makes a difference in people's lives. And we really want to say thank you from the bottom of our hearts to everyone who gave during Carathon last week and uh, encourage those who uh, got to hear Carathon but needed the time to think about it. We hope that you can continue to keep us in your thoughts and prayers and to send uh, donations your uh, our way if you're able to 
Thank you during this difficult time of the COVID pandemic of allowing a nonprofit like us to stay about the business we've been called to do. Thank you for supporting our show and all of the ministries at Iowa Catholic Radio. Well, Bud, uh, you know, every week uh, that we, we stay on, there's, there's more 2020 things, type things to pray about. Obviously, um, the various people in government that have been getting sick, uh, the hurricanes in the Gulf, uh, the election coming up, a lot to pray for. Uh, but uh, I know the good people of Iowa Catholic Radio will keep these things on their hearts and offer them up to the Lord. Uh, to, and we, we appreciate those prayers. Certainly. And if our listeners think about it in your charity, uh, please say a prayer for my family during this transition time and can't wait to rejoin you know, everyone there in Des Moines. That's right. And pray for the poor people of Pittsburgh who won't know <laughs> quite what to do, but I'm sure they'll find someone else who will discover the magic of French fries on salad there soon. Uh, Bud, take care this week. And uh, like you said, we'll be seeing you soon. All right. This is the Uncommon Good. God bless everyone. We'll see you next week. The Uncommon Good with Bo Bonner and Dr. Bud Marr is heard every week on wonderful Catholic stations like this one and anytime on podcast. Just search for The Uncommon Good.